Hey, we're so glad you've joined us on YouTube for our new series, When Jesus Prays. It's going to be a four-week series, and each Sunday we're going to look at a different prayer of Jesus that we think will really help us to understand how we can pray, how we can have a more intimate, natural relationship with God, how we can talk with him freely, which is essentially what prayer is. And we're going to begin this morning by looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Now, the Lord's Prayer is something I remember well from school, but I really don't think that the way that I was saying it in school, uh, in those assemblies, when the minister would come in from the local church of Scotland and get us to repeat it, I don't think I was saying it, understanding it in the way that Jesus meant uh, for it to be understood. Uh, I remember these repetitive chants as we stood up together, We said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And it went on. And it was kind of that singy, repetitive, we're just doing this because we're supposed to do it kind of prayer. But we all see that these are actually full, they're rich and freeing words. And they're used to teach a group of people on a Galilean hillside 2,000 years ago that have as much power today as they did then. So if you ever struggle with prayer, this is for you. And if you never struggle with prayer, well, I don't really believe you. So uh, let me pray. Let me pray for us all as we look to uh, enrich our prayer lives together. Lord God, thank you for this glorious example of how to pray. And Lord, we pray that we take the principles from this and it would become not something that's wrote, something that's just, you know, something we're supposed to do but it would help us to bring glory to your name and understand what it is to be in a relationship with you and bring fruit in our lives, bring goodness to our lives from you, and that it would help us to walk with you, simply walk with you in the everyday, ordinary lives that we live. Come, Lord Jesus, in your power, teach us now through your word, we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing to say is that prayer is personal, verse 9. The first thing we can learn about prayer is that even when we feel like it isn't, prayer is not a cold and mechanistic ritual. It flows from personal and intimate relationship with God, with our Heavenly Father. It begins, our Father. In Luke's version, he's even more specific than Matthew about God as a father figure, as as this dad, because he writes, using the language, Abba, Father. It's a call, it's a sound, it's a, oh, Daddy, Dad, I love you. There's There's an affection about the way in which Jesus teaches this. And the Apostle Paul, he later explains this in Romans and in Galatians, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that was poured out on us by Jesus, we can pray like Jesus did, that kind of intimacy that the Son had with his Father. We as sons and daughters have that now. We cry out, Abba, Father. So this is personal. During the Second World War, a 20-year-old woman from northern Italy moved to Germany to work at a munitions factory. And while she was there, she fell in love with a German officer. And uh, it all... Uh, 
became a, a bit of a romantic uh, whirlwind and she ends up getting pregnant has a baby. Now as soon as the baby comes along, the German officer's family take the baby away and send her back to Northern Italy. Her daughter had been named Margot, but she didn't know it. And for 71 years, they were separated until a few years ago, Margot decides now that her family, who she was trying to respect in her earlier years, are, are dead, they're gone. Um, she feels like there's just something in her she's supposed to look out and find her mum. And so she finds a service who help her, a tracing service in Germany, and they find her mum, still alive, 92 years old and as sharp as ever. It turned out that her mother was desperate to see her. Hadn't stopped thinking about her the whole time. She hadn't even known her name, so she had no way of tracing her. After a couple of letters, they finally met. And at first, I imagine it was a little awkward. Uh, hi, are, are you mum? Are you my mum? Can I call you that? Nice to meet you. I guess we've met before. You know, it's so awkward. But after a while, they start to feel close, like a mother and a daughter should. And now they describe themselves as very close. Now our relationship with God can be a little bit like that. We're like the prodigal sons and daughters come home, and so it can feel a little awkward at times. It can feel like there's a distance between us and God, but it's not true because we are his sons and daughters. He adores us, he loves us, he is our perfect father, and he has always loved us. He's never stopped caring and he never will. So you can go confidently to your father, Abba Father, Father. Prayer is personal. Prayer is worship. Verse nine, second half of verse nine. Through Jesus, God is our father. He's our friend. He's, he's come close to us, but we also need to be clear that he is the eternal God. He is the one who has always been and who always will be. He is everlasting. He's the beginning and the end. The one through whom all things have their being. We cannot start to think of him as only one of our pals, our BFFs. We come close and yes, we enjoy his love. But we also come humbly before his awesome power in adoration of who he is. Our prayer attitude should always have an element of face down adoration, humility. Prayer is for worship. I think this is the most neglected prayer of our day. God's glory should be in our prayers. At that time, the crowd would have been familiar with a prayer used in the local synagogues called the Kaddish. And it said this, exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime speedily and soon. Jesus was deliberately reflecting this language because he wasn't only telling us to pray with personal adoration for God, he was also teaching us to pray for others to bow down to him in adoration as well. 
Are we praying that not only our friends would receive something of the love of God, but but actually that they would fall face down before him, they'd be humbled before him, they'd realise that they're in a mess and they're in their sin and that they need Jesus for his forgiveness, they need the power of God in their lives, that they are weak but he is strong. Are we praying those things? Are we praying that for our church? Are we praying that for our leaders, our communities, our nation, that we would bow before God and see that he is the one true king? I think my favourite example of this happening in the Bible is the false god Dagon, who was the Philistine god. The Philistines and the Israelites had got into a big battle and the Philistines ran off with the Ark of the Covenant, this symbol of God's presence, God's presence dwelt where the Ark of the Covenant went. And so this was a big deal. And so the Philistines are thinking, oh, look, we've shown him as powerless. He's no god at all. Look. Our God is the real God, and so they place the Ark of the Covenant before this massive statue, Dagon, inside Dagon's temple. And then they think, brilliant, well done, what a good job. Look at us, aren't we awesome? Isn't our God better than their God? Next morning, they go into the temple. Dagon, this huge statue, has fallen face down before the Ark of the Covenant. Takes them all day using ropes to hoist this thing back up. Eventually it's, it's, it's up again and, and, and they think, oh, good job, well done everyone. We showed them, Dagon is still the one true God. And then off they go to sleep, they get up in the morning, open the temple doors. Dagon is face down again before the Ark of the Covenant. Didn't you fix them up properly last night? What's happened? Head decapitated. Arms and legs are off. The torso is separated from the rest. God has shown who the one true God is. And it is not Dagon. And that is true of any God, any idol in this world. There is one true God and it is Yahweh. It is the God of gods. The one we know. The God of the Bible. Our prayers have to call call on God to topple and break the idols around us. Our prayers are to reveal God as the one true God worthy of our worship. We must pray face down and call on God to reveal the idols in this culture and see them toppled. Hallowed be your name. Prayer is worship. Prayer is mission, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I used to um, be part of a church that had some wonderful older members who would be so faithful in coming on to prayer meetings and I used to love going along to, to do pastoral visits with them and spending time with them. They're just the sweetest old ladies um, and there's a few old men as well and they were just a wonderful group. But one of the things that they would often do is they would come along to a prayer meeting or they'd bring a list to me as the, one of the ministers to pray and it would be things like, it'd be a big list really, Lord, Auntie Jeannie's tired today and she's only 94 and wee Mary's got the cold and, and uh, what, what about Jeannie's 
leg. That's a, it's a wee bit infected. We need to pray about that. Now, these are things that we do want to pray about. Don't get me wrong. We want to pray for one another. But Jesus is saying this. Pray according to the heart of what it is to be kingdom builders, to be his church, to go make disciples of all nations. In all the books I've read about revival, about great awakenings of people that come and meet with Jesus in great numbers, time and time again, it begins with people praying for God's kingdom to break in. The last time we can confidently say that God brought a revival to these shores was on the sleepy islands of Lewis and Harris. In 1949, the Church of Scotland was worried about needing to announce the closure of churches on the islands. Sounds familiar. Church of Scotland recently announced to its churches that they're probably going to have to speed up the sale of their properties. But as if out of nowhere on those islands, within hours of that announcement, churches went from empty to full, and it wasn't even Sunday. There were reports of people falling down in fields before God and worshipping him, and uh, churches being packed in the middle of the night because they'd sensed that the Spirit was leading them to a particular place to pray and worship together. It went from quiet and sleepy traditional Sunday meetings where ministers went through their usual routines to farmers falling down in the middle of fields to people rushing to be saved, people realising their need for God and crying out, I need Jesus. And actually the, almost everyone on those islands came to faith. And all of it can be traced back to two elderly women who prayed and prayed and prayed for God to break in. God sent his messenger and uh, then the kingdom broke out. We are the instruments that God loves to spread his presence through. He loves to advance his kingdom through and it begins in prayer. It's great to pray for each other. It's great to pray for each other's needs. But even at the heart of all of our prayers, we should have a willingness to do anything, go anywhere, some nation on the other side of the world, across the street, to your friend, make that difficult conversation happen, whatever it is. Go to that lonely colleague or student in your class, that person you find difficult. Go to a new club or society as the Spirit leads you to that place. Maybe there's just one person God wants you to speak to. Go, go with the gospel. We should say to God as Isaiah did, here I am, send me. That needs to be part of our prayers. But it also needs to be part of our prayers that we simply pray for the Spirit of God to move. Because if it's just us going, it's not going to work. If the power of the Spirit is going out ahead of us, the power of the Spirit is going with us, then it's going to work. God's going to do extraordinary things. We're going to see loads of fruit. We do not pray to a static God. We pray to a God who is on the move and has us in his plans. What an adventure. If we want to be part of it, we've got to be praying. Hudson Taylor, he was a great pioneer missionary to inland China. He went during a time where it was likely to die of unknown diseases, harsh winters, or even being murdered by spirit worshippers. 
Yet he and many others still went. And he said to one potential missionary who was applying for it, Brother, if you would enter that province, you must go forward on your knees. I believe that to be true of mission anywhere. We've got a mission that we are just beginning. And if we want to see Glasgow changed, we've got to go on our knees. That's why we're doing the prayer course. That's why we're praying every weekday mornings at church, seven till half seven. We'd love to see you there. It's why we believe that God is leading us to particularly focus on prayer right now. It's why we're doing this series. Why don't you join us? Get on your knees, on your own, but also with others. Prayer is mission. God's kingdom come. God's will be done. Prayer is dependence, verse 11. Prayer is give us our daily bread. Now, it's so easy to feel like we don't need much. I know there was lots of really good conversations about this on Wednesday night as we were going through the prayer course. And I think it can be easy to feel like that, not to pray those prayers for the things we need, because everything seems to be given to us on a plate. But the truth is that we're actually never uh, more than a nanosecond away from losing our lives. I was playing rugby in South Africa as an 18-year-old, and we're watching one of the games on the TV. Um, Ireland were playing really well, and the captain was just having this outstanding game. And uh, we were amazed they're beating New Zealand just after halftime. And suddenly, the captain kind of drops down on the pitch. Don't know what's going on, looks like a kind of innocuous injury, nobody else involved. Before we know it, the TV is still, still on, still panning in, and, and he's getting uh, some resuscitation, CPR. And uh, they keep going, and they keep going, and they keep going. You might remember the Fabrice Muamba moment when he had heart failure while he was playing for Tottenham Hotspur. It was like that, except, unfortunately for this guy, he didn't come around. Died there on the pitch, 18-year-old, world at his feet, incredibly talented guy. Now, it turns out he'd just become a Christian, from Northern Ireland, just become a Christian. Amazing guy. Um, and many people uh, began to ask big life questions after that moment. But the point is, I'm trying to scare us, but your life is not always guaranteed. This is a vulnerable life. This life is not somewhere where we know that we'll definitely be here tomorrow. We don't know that. And we need to live life in dependence on God because it's actually every heartbeat that we have, every food, uh, piece of food, every, every drink of water we have is dependent on him. And there's all sorts of things we can do to remind us of that dependence. I love the idea of saying grace. It's not a biblical requirement, but it's helpful. It's a helpful rhythm to help us see that we need God. And I know that other people have all kinds of other sorts of rhythms. I think it's dangerous when you say you have to do that. or oh, You ate that food before we said grace. What are you doing? You're going to be cursed. No, not like that. <laughs> no, no, just like really good reminders that we're dependent on God are really helpful. So if you can get rhythms into your life like that, that will help you see that you're so dependent on God for everything, that will help you 
to get a perspective on life that uh, is full of gratitude and dependence because it is the Lord who provides. And actually Jesus explains this a bit more later in verse 25, that if we pray this way, we have no need to worry. Although life is fragile, God will provide the daily bread that we need until he takes us home. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And it continues, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Life is fragile, but God is trustworthy. He's dependable. Keep turning to prayer and depend on him and your worries will ease. Prayer is dependence. And prayer is forgiveness, verse 12. At the heart of what it means to be in a relationship with God is to know that we are forgiven. I think our generation has swallowed a, a huge lie and it seeped into the church and that is that we are essentially good people and really we deserve God's fatherly affection. We deserve his love. The truth can be further from that assumption and it's a dangerous assumption to have. We, by nature, live lives or have lived lives of rebellion against God, making ourselves God instead of him. We've essentially stuck two fingers up at God and what's he done? He stepped out of heaven, become this vulnerable child, lived a perfect life, died in our place. Why? So that we could have forgiveness of sin. So that we could have all the barriers removed from us and God and walk into his presence freely. There in the cross, he substituted himself for us so that we could be forgiven. If you believe that today, you are free. If you don't, you can put your trust in him right now and you will be free forever. And we need to continue in that freedom that he has won for us. Asking for forgiveness and realigning ourselves to his ways are daily practices. They are to be at the heart of our prayers. Do you regularly come to God, confess sin? You don't need a priest because Jesus is your great high priest. You can just go straight to him. Jesus advocating on your behalf. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins and he will forgive you. Continue in that freedom. And not only that, we should also forgive one another. Now, when we hold on to a grudge, what we're actually doing is we're refusing to forgive someone and not just refusing to forgive someone, but denying the gospel, denying the truth of the cross. Our lives are demonstrating that we don't believe in the power of the cross. If Jesus died for you, once a blatant enemy of God, 
you can forgive anyone of anything. Because God is quick to forgive us, we should be quick to forgive others. Now, some of you have read the story of Cory ten Boom. This is like the classic story people tell about forgiveness. And there's a reason it's classic, it's amazing. She lived through a concentration camp during World War II where she watched her sister die a cruel death at the hands of her captors. And then in 1947, two years after her release and after the liberation of the camps, she went to Germany and she tells her story and she goes from church to church telling her story and telling people that Jesus can forgive them. She goes to Germany with the gospel. Here's what she said in her book, in her own words, when she came across one of her captors in the audience one night. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones came back with a rush, a huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me. Of course, how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had, come ho I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, 
I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands and then this heading, uh, sorry, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. Prayer is to be forgiven and to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, prayer is victory. Lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We increasingly do not like to think about it today. In case people think we're crazy, I think. That's the truth, isn't it? But there is a Satan, an enemy, prowling around. He's trying to get into our lives and ruin them. He's trying to get between our relationships. He's trying to whisper lies about the Bible, about truth. He's trying to whisper lies about who God is. He's trying to lead us to sin and he's trying to take us away from God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Thankfully, praise Jesus. He is the one who has overcome overcome death, overcome sin, overcome Satan. He has won. And so if there are things in your life where you're like, Ah, I just don't think I can overcome this sin. Or I, I, just, I just feel as though this habit is impossible to shake. I'm giving up. I'd say don't. Because Jesus has overcome. Do you feel as though the habit is unshakable? Give it to God in prayer. Again and again and again. Persevere. Give it to God in prayer. Keep praying. Because he will hear you. He will answer you. And that, that sin will be gone from your life might feel unshakable right now to you in your life, rooted in there like a, a tree with roots or a deep weed with roots that you just can't pull out. Let God in prayer remove it, take it from you, and instead see gardens flourish. Prayer is victory. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you're struggling to pray, why not just spend some time praying in each of these these ways? Jot them down maybe. Pray intimately, personally, Father, Abba, Father. Even just say that over and over if it helps. Pray worshipfully. You might want to Write your prayers to help you focus. And you could find passages like the one that Dennis preached from last week in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and you you could almost just 
write that back out. Oh, wow, thank you, God. Pray for mission. Pray for your people around you. Pray for the friends around you. Pray for people in your life that, that don't know Jesus. Pray with dependence. Thank him for every heartbeat. Hey, if you have to get a stethoscope and put it up against your heart, do it. Thank you, God, for each one of these heartbeats. Pray for forgiveness. Are there people in your life you've not really forgiven? You've kind of put something to the side, but you haven't chosen to love them because that's what true forgiveness looks like. Radical forgiveness is the kind of forgiveness that God has given you. It might start cold, mechanical. Oh, I don't want to do this. The Spirit of God will rush into you and in time, at least, he will make that come real to you. And pray in Christ's victory. Jesus is victor. He is one. He is the king. Nothing can compare with him. And you can trust him. Join us through the week. 7 a.m., weekdays or at the prayer course on Wednesday nights. You won't regret it. Father God, Abba, Father, you are so worthy of worship. You are the King on the throne and we give you glory now. We say to you that you are incomparable in every way. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for teaching us to pray. And Lord, we pray that we would be people on mission together. We pray that our prayers would be about mission. We pray, God, that your kingdom would come and would advance through us. I pray, Lord, that we'd be aware of how dependent we need to be on you. Pray, Father, that you would forgive us for those areas in our life where we need forgiven. Help us to identify them, we pray. Humble us. And we pray that we would know your forgiveness too, that we'd really be free in your forgiveness. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to know that we have victory. That sin, the one that we just can't shake, thank you, God, that you have the power over it. Remove that weed, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us and that we are now hidden in Christ and Jesus, you are the one at our Father's throne interceding on our behalf. Gloriously good. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.